You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. Not to be dramatic, but today's episode is one of the very best. I have no doubt you're going to finish it feeling empowered and energized and educated with newfound confidence in you. Dr. Margie Warrell is an internationally renowned speaker, best-selling author, and mom of four. But beyond the shiny resume, she's also been through some stuff, like being robbed at gunpoint, and experiencing three miscarriages and losing her brother to suicide. In today's episode, we talk about how to have our stuff shape us and not define us. We talk about stress management and becoming better equipped to roll with life's punches. And we talk about learning to trust yourself more wholly and fully, doubting your doubts and refusing to let your own boat sink. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And without further ado, welcome Dr. Margie. Hey, great to be with you, Erica. So thrilled to have you here on Thrive. So welcome to you. For those listening who have not had the pleasure of becoming acquainted with your work as of yet, you've got five best-selling books. Uh, Introduce yourself to everyone because it is truly an honor to have you here. Oh, uh, look, you know, I think I was a multi-hyphenate before it was a thing. <laughs> uh, you know, big sister of seven, mother of four, author, speaker, global nomad, adventurer, um, aspiring barista, uh, ball juggling, <laughs> um, yeah, all of that stuff. All Wait, aspiring of- barista. So what's the best coffee drink you can make? Oh, uh, look, frankly, I'm, I'm a very traditional latte drinker. So, uh, you know, I kind of move a little bit to Cortados in the US because there's so much more milk put in drinks here. But um, in Australia, I'm just a hardcore, no vanilla, no caramel, no nothing, just a latte with with cow's milk. (laughs) Hey, nothing wrong with that. I'm with you. I love it. Um, Also, I feel like this is a fun fact that I read or saw about you somewhere. Weren't you also, um, didn't you have a gun to your head in a robbery or something like crazy? I feel like I saw that in an intro to a one of your talks or something. I that I haven't ever added that into my multi-hyphenate, you know, <laughs> robbery survivor. But yes, I, I, I absolutely, and I was living in Papua New Guinea at the time, which is an interesting, um, a lot of people don't actually know where Papua New Guinea is but it's above Australia. And I was living there. I moved there when I was 26 years old. And um, my husband and I just got married and we're like, let's go and experience the world. Let's see who can get the first job. And, you know, I'm thinking London, Paris, New York, Rome, you know, and uh, he came back one day and said, I think I can get us an overseas, my job overseas. I'm like, awesome. He said, Papua New Guinea. I'm like, that wasn't in my top 1,000. But um, we just said, what the heck, let's go. And uh, it was pre-kids and it was really under the sense of adventure. We went off and spent nearly three years there. And and PNG, as it tends to be called, um, at the time was the one of the most dangerous countries in the world outside a war zone. 
And, you know, there is a lot of violence. There is absolutely, it's a corrupt country that isn't very well run at all. And somehow, though, I just thought that would never happen to me. And it did happen to me. So, yeah, it was a big, it was actually a period of um, great growth for me. Yeah, I'm sure. And then what, what did you do? Because, I mean, obviously you're here, you've survived and you're in one piece, thank God, but that must have been terrifying. Yeah, it was. So I was actually with um, a client. I worked for a fairly small company and we did marketing and it was the day before the office was closing for the two-week kind of Christmas holiday break and all of the local employees go back to their villages and I was due to fly out to Australia to spend time with my family and I was actually 18 weeks pregnant at the time and I was having a coffee in uh with my with a client and we were just having like a, a, a holiday coffee and these guys here yeah, stormed in with sawn off shotguns three of them and they're called rascals in Papua New Guinea and rascals is the, sort of the name for for people who live, I mean, obviously break the law, who do a lot of robberies, but there's a lot of that there. I mean, there's always people being held up at gunpoint there. And um, and and actually there's a, there's a lot of violence and actually there's a lot of gang rape. And so they stormed in and put the gun at my head thinking that I had access to the cash because we were paid all the local staff in cash. And they assumed that I would be able to know where the cash was because I was actually sitting in my boss's office. He'd gone out and he had a like a, a little coffee table and, and, and sofas and what have you. And I didn't have the access to the safe. Or the, I didn't know where the cash was. I had nothing to do with that. And so they kept thrusting it at my head and saying, open to safe, open to safe, missus, open to safe. And I was just, I, I, I can't, I don't know how to. And, and I think maybe they could just tell after a while, I genuinely did not know how to open the safe. I had no idea where the cash was. So they told me to lie on the ground with my client, Bruce. And I just remember lying there and I had on a, a skirt and he put his hands right up between my thighs and just the week before, an uh, expatriate woman from New Zealand had been, she had car had broken down. She'd been taken back to a village and been raped by like 18 guys. And I honestly, it wasn't death I was afraid of. <laughs> it was it, just the thought of being taken with them. I was terrified that they would take me with them because that happens. And... I lay there and actually Bruce, my client, reached over and grabbed my hand and he was from Bougainville. This big six foot five guy grabbed my hand and I remember holding onto his hand with a ferocity. I have never hold, held onto anyone's hand before then or since then. And and just, just holding onto his hand, like, please don't let him take me. And after a few minutes, what felt like a few hours, they they left and I just wouldn't get up. I just lay there. Like I was just wouldn't get up and then a few people came in and put their heads in the door and said you can get up now and I just was like I I, I was too scared to get up I just was like I, I don't believe they're gone <laughs> finally enough people said you can get up now and I remember getting up and someone handing me a glass of water which fell through my hands and broke onto the ground <laughs> and um so yes that was really shocking but what I think added to that experience was I flew to Australia the next day and then 10 days after that, so that would have been the 21st of December. And on the 
31st of December, I went and had a 19-week sonogram for my first baby. And it was the first, could be the first grandchild. My mum came with me to that and my sister who was studying medicine and my husband was there. And I remember just being in there and it had never occurred to me that I could would miscarry, that I just honestly never, I just didn't think it would happen to me. And I just remember the, the, the girl, the technician kind of looking, how long far did you say? I'm like, oh, I should be like 19 weeks and three days. And she's like, she kind of walked out and my husband picked up on it, but I just honestly just wasn't picking up. And uh, finally someone else came in and they looked at it and they said, I'm so sorry, but um, the life isn't, this isn't viable. And I just went into shock. I just couldn't believe it. And of course we know this happens. <laughs> we know women lose children, but it just, I couldn't believe it happened to me. And I hadn't had a, a scan done since I was about nine, oh, sorry, about 10 weeks. Um, I was living in Port Moresby. It was, wasn't normal back then. And uh, this was the main one. And so, yeah. And so that was shocking. So two really quite traumatic events, 10 days apart. Uh, oh exactly. my goodness. Uh, yeah, pretty rocked my world. Um, it's a long day. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, hey, I think that really speaks to, I didn't even know that any of that was part of your backstory. And it really speaks to everything that you are an expert in today in terms of taking things that really rock people's worlds and are so stressful and so unexpected and turning it into something that can almost be, dare I say, empowering and almost help you trust yourself more and lean into everything that you are more and be stronger from it. So, I mean, kudos to you and thank you for being willing to share that story with everybody because I'm sure that there are people listening in who are now inspired or feel a little bit less alone knowing that, you know, you've been through something so, so, so hard in your story as well and are still, you know, so successful today. Yeah, and that that experience, those two experiences right on top of each other uh, I do look back at them now, Eric. To Erica, to your point, and I, I strongly believe our hardships and our heartaches uh, may shape us, but they do not need to define us. And I, I don't share that. I mean, that story is is part of my long life, you know, experiences. And you know, yes, sometimes it gets mentions, and sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't define me. Not everyone would know that. It's not something that I would share unless I felt it was relevant. And obviously you kind of went that way. We might never have, I might never have shared it had you not sort of just sort of led me down that down that um, path. But I, I actually remember in the weeks and months that followed, I went back to PNG after a few weeks in Australia. And I remember my husband saying, you don't have to go back to that place and work. Clearly, it doesn't have very good security. And I was like, well, no, I'm going back because what else am I going to do? I, I'm not one to sit idle. And I didn't want to. There were a lot of women wives there, expatriate wives, who played mahjong and did lunches. And that just wasn't me. Um, and But I went back to study psychology uh, that year. Instead of having my first child, I went back and started to thought, well, what can I do this year to help? just do something that's meaningful. And I, I went back and I was, in, I don't need to study business. And I, I started literally down the path that I'm still on today. Uh, I had already had an interest in that, but I'm not sure if I had been having a baby, I might not have gone back to study. I mean, who knows how my story would have unfolded. 
But on top of that, I journaled a lot and I have always journaled a lot. Um, and but of course, my journaling sort of evolved from my 12-year-old self talking about what boys I had crushes on or who was my best friend or who wasn't. But I remember so clearly as I journaled and I, I just really had to dig, had to look within and dig deep just to be more resilient. But just being so clear as people were very sympathetic to me, deciding I do not want to be defined as a victim. I mean, in, in many ways, I was a victim. But I didn't want to kind of operate and go out with everyone going, oh, my gosh, did you hear what happened? Because a lot of people, you know, it's a small place. A lot of people knew me and these two things and everyone knew I was pregnant and then I wasn't pregnant right after this armed robbery. And, by the way, I should add that they, there was never any reason to believe that the robbery led to that because I wasn't physically hurt. But, uh, and they actually believe that, um, that, that, just to call it that, had died prior to that. But I hadn't known. I had, I had no signs that anything had gone astray amiss with the pregnancy. Um, and, but I just remember so clearly thinking, I do not want to be defined as a victim. I don't want to think of myself as a victim. And I want to decide who I am and how I show up in the world. And, and ever since then, um, I think that I've had, I've had some pretty heartbreaking experiences since then in my own with my siblings and in my family and and at, at every point um I've just been really clear about we cannot always choose our experiences in life but we get to choose our response to them and I don't believe it serves us to live in a state of self-pity or blame and that doing so actually keeps us from exercising our own agency and moving from sort of survivor to thriver. And, uh, and the numerous experiences I've had since uh, with, with my family and, and just in disruption, I've had a lot of disruption in the last few years, moving around, having my kids. I've since gone on there. I should share with people. I since went on, I had two more miscarriages after that. Um, but I've since gone on and had four beautiful children, four healthy kids who are all young adults now, some couple still teens and some early 20s. I had four kids in five years. Um, but I, I share that because that experience did help me realise I can handle a lot more than I might have thought I could handle. If you told me, would you be able to deal with that? I would have said, oh, no, I couldn't deal with that. But I had to deal with it. And it's kind of like... Some people just get really pulled into a place of enormous, I think, self-pity or, um, and, I, and I don't think that serves us or blame. And, and so what is it to live powerfully? To me, it's holding yourself in your power is not to be defined by your circumstances, not to be defined by your past or your problems or other people. Um, and to really stand in your power and say, how do I choose to be in the world? regardless of what is going on in the world around me. Yes. Oh, I feel like snapping over here because that was that is so good and so true. And I love what you said about, you know, if you if you would if someone had told you, "Okay, can you go through this?" Your gut reaction probably would have been absolutely not. Do not deal me those cards. That's terrible. It's so hard. I couldn't imagine going through it in a million years. But I mean, how many I think everyone listening in can relate to that exact feeling, whether it's in 
a tragic sense or a really hard thing going on in their personal life or even just what we went through in the past year and then some, you know, proving that A, life can change instantly and B, we have absolutely no choice but to just change with it and to grow and to not be, like you said, not actually be defined by it but just be shaped by it. Um, And I think that means that oftentimes, like you said, we're rising to challenges that we've never necessarily even imagined for ourselves, let alone actually prepared for. So I would love to hear how you think maybe you can go through life discovering your own strength or kind of honing a a certain skill or a certain talent so that we can be proactive and have that sort of more proactive attitude moving forward Now that we all know, okay, even if you haven't necessarily had some sort of personal experience beyond what the world went through with the pandemic this past year, now just kind of knowing, all right, this stuff does happen. The reality check is there. It's real. It can happen to anyone. So how do you kind of look at that in a more proactive sense so that it is more empowering and something that you're you're like, all right, even though I might hate it and not feel equipped for it when it comes... I could still embrace this challenge and rise to it and and come out stronger. I believe that we get to choose. As Einstein said, are you living in a hostile or friendly universe? And we go, well, what does that mean? And I think it was Rumi many years ago who said, live every day as though life is rigged in your favour or the universe is conspiring for you. And... That's easier said than done, particularly when you feel like life is just coming at you thick and fast and working against you. And everywhere you turn, there's a headwind or a curveball. And you're like, what the hell? (laughs) And I have had those experiences and including in very recent years, which is why I wrote my most recent book, You've Got This, because I just had the rug pulled out from beneath me. Um, and ended up with kids scattered across the world and a whole lot of situations that were outside of my control at the time. And, and, and I believe that I wrote about actually the chapter in You've Got This, it's Choose Faith Over Fear. And it's the same as hope and optimism. You can choose to go, it's not fair. It's all, you know, none of this is fair, none of it's going to work out, um, life is against me, people are against me. Uh, and you and, and I always ask, and how does that make you feel? Well, it makes you feel, I mean, I could use lots of um, expletives here, but it just makes you feel angry, it makes you feel mad, it makes you feel depressed. You can say makes, it, it makes you feel really shitty. <laughs> yeah, shitty and pissed off and all of that. But... Um, but, you know, I'm like, okay, so how, how's that working for you? Because, I mean, okay, you can think that. You can go, it's all this person's fault, my ex's fault, you know, my kid's fault, my parents' fault, my boss's fault, you know, these bastards, you know. And, and you know, I'm like, okay, so, so how is that working for you? It's not working for you because it's not going to move you into a place to get on and make the best of it. And so it was Marty Seligman, he is a, the founder of Positive Psychology, and he said, you know, optimism is a choice. At the end of the day, you don't have to choose to be optimistic about life. But optimists weather life storms better and they emerge from them better off. And having optimism, I think, requires having faith. Faith that life is happening for you, not happening to you. And I mean, that's a, that's a quote that Tony Robbins has said. There's so many really wise people who've said things like this over the years. Napoleon Hill said, 
Every adversity holds the seed of an equal or greater benefit. And I, I know over, over the years myself, sometimes we have to be really intentional in looking for the seed. We have to be really consistent in watering it and continuing to put positive energy into the good things. And then we have to be patient and wait and wait. And sometimes it takes longer than we want. We want to see, well, how did this work out? Where's the silver lining? And we're like, well, I can't see a silver lining right now. Um, sometimes we have to wait longer than we think. But if we just have faith that actually it's all going to work out for my highest good. And I want to use this for the highest good. And I know for me, with so many things that have happened, um, just being really committed to looking for the win, looking for how can I turn this into an opportunity for growth, for learning, for giving. And, you know, there's a concept called post-traumatic growth. And I've written about this quite a bit in the last 12, 18 months, but I, I studied this as part of my doctorate and, and, I, and, I, and I hadn't realised that this is what I had experienced, but I since am so clear I've had multiple experiences of post-traumatic growth in my life where I've experienced something that was traumatic, it was hard, it was painful, it absolutely knocked me over. But by, by drawing on my own spiritual belief system that there is a greater force whatever you want to call it. Some people call it God. Some people call it just the universe, <laughs> higher power, karma. I don't know. You call it whatever works and resonates for you. But if you operate from the belief system that, that actually there's some higher force that transcends our own intelligence at play in the world, then it allows you in those hard moments to not be completely wracked by the negativity and despair and hopelessness and to go, all right, well, how can I pick myself up and just surrender to what is and get on with making the best of it? And I've had to surrender to what is many times, but I've also been very intentional in looking for ways, how can I make the best of this? And how can I support my kids in recent years? For instance, last year, I had three kids in the United States. I was living in Singapore at the time. Um, I'm very happy to be back in the US now, but two of whom became homeless in the pandemic because their colleges, I mean, not homeless, homeless, but their colleges closed and they had nowhere to live. They had no family and they had nowhere to go. And so literally some of their friends, parents who never met them or us took them in for months at a time. Um, and and there was actually a blessing in that for them. But at the time, it was hard. My husband got COVID. He was hospitalised for a month. It was like, heck, how can I find myself in this? I can't access my kids, get to them. They can't come to me. Singapore closed its borders. I actually still haven't seen my family in Australia now for coming up two years because Australia's closed its borders. So I'm still, we're still not out of this pandemic. Um, and, and just going, you know what, where is there a gift in here? And at whatever, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to just just show up in a way that helps me find it. And, and I think for people, everyone, no matter what you're going through, there is always an opportunity for you, you to use this for good in the world in some way, shape or form. Yep. Could not agree more. And I think it's something that in today's day and age, I see it oftentimes will be it'll get a bad rap and be called, oh, it's toxic positivity. Like sometimes things are just bad and you just have to let it be bad. But I couldn't agree more with you that sometimes uh, 
yeah, bad things, horrible things, really shitty things happen to people. There's no way around it. And you absolutely are just left with a choice. Do you just sit and wallow in it and let it destroy you and eat you up? And do you just sit around being depressed and lay on the floor and say, this is it, I give up? Or do you choose to take some step forward, find something good that you can garner from it? And I also believe that it's not necessarily even just good in your own life because I think sometimes we look and we think, okay, how is this going to be better for me immediately? Like you said, that instant need for some sort of gratification or something better right away. But I think sometimes that we're all in this together in this life. And sometimes the bad thing that you are dealt paves the way for someone else to see how you handled it because it might be coming to them next and they'll see what you went through and that might inspire them in some way or give them some sort of strength that they otherwise might not have had. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it almost, that gives me peace, at least personally, to know that, all right, even if my shitty thing makes no sense to me and still sucks and can't be changed and I don't know how this would make sense for me, I, it at least gives me a little bit of peace in my heart to know that, okay, if it at least helped someone else with their journey, maybe that was, maybe that was how everything conspired together in the grand scheme of things to make it, Absolutely. make it okay. Absolutely. And you know, toxic positivity is something actually I've written about quite a bit too. I wrote a Forbes column on that a little while ago, if anyone wants to just kind of Google my name and toxic positivity. Toxic positivity denies the hard realities of life and it seeks to whitewash or positive wash difficult and negative emotions and the truth is is that we need all emotions to thrive and to grow and to flourish as human beings and so you can choose optimism without denying hard realities brutal realities raw realities sad tragic things happen uh, but that doesn't mean that that's a permanent state in your life I mean, right now I've got numerous friends going through incredibly tough times and I just say, it won't stay this way forever. I mean, it won't. But right now it's really hard and I get that you're grieving or I get that you're feeling angry or I get that you're feeling enormous uncertainty about the future and that that's hard and uncomfortable and I'm sorry, I get it. Um, so it's not trying to say, oh, it's all going to work out. Well, I mean, it will all work out, but that doesn't deny that right now it's just hard sometimes life's hard yakka I remember when I had little kids I moved to the U.S. just after 9-11 with three kids three and under and every day it was just freaking hard slog just hard slog I had zero family or friends in the United States and it was just hard and I've had a few times since where it's just life's been hard and you know what? It was just hard. I mean, it was just like it was relentless. It was grinding. It wasn't a lot of fun. Um, I mean, you had your moments. But so, I, yeah, I agree with you on toxic positivity. We need to embrace the negative emotions and we need to sit with them and we need to give them space and we need to learn the lessons because emotions are pointing us to something. And I recall after my youngest brother, I'm one of seven, I have three brothers and three sisters, and my youngest brother had a long battle with schizophrenia and he eventually took his life. That was tragic because he had so much talent and he, he had been a big personality and it had, he had really had his dreams robbed and ultimately he obviously saw no reason to live. And I remember in the aftermath of that, in the weeks and months that followed, 
just obviously my heart was broken. Giving myself a lot of space to just sit with my sadness, to really let those waves of grief, which were big at the beginning and would sort of just wash over me like a tsunami and just to sit there with this ache in my heart and cry as much as I needed to cry. And I just gave, I, I intentionally gave myself a lot of space. Um, and over time, the waves kind of get smaller and further apart. But actually over time also, I got such clarity that I wanted my life to honour the life that he never got to live. And numerous people in my family have struggled with some different forms of mental ill health. Um, not all of it, none of it is severe as what Peter struggled with. But, you know, I've just been blessed with pretty good mental health. I mean, I've had some challenges here and there, but generally pretty good. And and I just think, well, how can I use my gifts and, you know, my, my health, you know, for good? And how can I honour the life he didn't live? And uh, and I think doesn't mean it wasn't tragic and sad, <laughs> but how can I honour that experience fully? Mm-hmm. Well, what a what an honor to him, and what a what a legacy you're leaving behind on his behalf. Then too, I'm sure he would be very proud of uh, everything that you've done and continue to do because that's incredible. Uh, yeah, he'd probably give me shit because he's <laughs> a bossy big sister. <laughs> yeah, well, someone has to, right? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, from another negative, seemingly negative emotion, I think um, that gets a bad rap but can have some positive positive effects in there too is stress and i know you've said before stress is not your enemy it's stressful thinking that you need to watch out for which i think is just brilliant so can you explain what you mean by that because i think you have such an interesting take on stress that so many people would benefit from hearing yes 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 well with my first uh, the idea around this was first born by a guy Dr. Wayne Dyer, who has since passed oh, away. I love him. <laughs> yeah, he was. He probably was one of my key figures uh, that led me down this path because I really got into his books in my 20s. And um, he just, he said, there is no stress in the universe. There is only people having stressful thoughts. Now, a doctor or physician would argue that, oh, no, we see, the, we, see, we see the physiology of stress all the time. You know, people have rashes and heart palpitations and, you know, all that stuff. I'm like, yeah. But how does that come into being? It starts in the mind. It starts in our thinking. And so I have moments where I feel stressed. I'm not saying I'm not in stress. I'm not like some calm, zen, you know, person that never finds myself going, ah, kids, get the car, you know. But but what I do know is that when I am feeling wound up, uptight, etc., and I might start feeling I'm breathing shallow or, you know, I'm, I'm biting my nails or whatever, um, like, okay, Margie, what is it about how you're processing, interpreting and processing what's going on around you? As a kid, my dad used to take me out fishing in his rusty tin boat um, in the lakes, Gippsland Lakes, near where I grew up. And every now and again, our little tinny would spring a leak. And dad, being a dairy farmer uh, that he was, he would just get like blue tack or a minty candy and he'd like plug it up. And he used to say, you know, Margie, boats don't sink because of the water around them. They sink because of the water that gets in them. Oh, so good. Yeah. 
And I never thought much about it. I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, but I've thought about that since and how much we, it's not what's going on around you. It's about what you're letting in you. And it's why you will sometimes observe that there is a situation and one person is handling it with calm and a clear mind and responding to it in a constructive way. And someone else is running around like Chicken Little on Red Bull. And like, oh, oh, this guy's swinging. Oh, I'm going to go. Oh. I'm like, calm down. You've got this. That's why I wrote the book. You've got this. You'll figure it out. Because stress, our stressful thinking comes from the assessment we make of our ability, the resources we have to deal with a situation that we, we perceive that we may have to deal with. Whether you do or not is beside the point. But that we are, it's our, it's our perceptions of our ability to deal with what we think is coming at us. And so if you trust it in yourself that whatever happens, you can handle it, that you'll figure it out, that you've got this, if you were going to operate from that belief system, how would that shift how you felt right now? If you stopped and physiologically did a body, like a physiological reset, take a couple of big deep breaths, you know, to just disarm that neural hijack and take a few big deep breaths, stand tall, sit tall, ground yourself in what I call self-certainty, the certainty of the attitude you're going to bring. And then just say, yeah, I've got this. I'll figure it out. Now you might have to do that 20 times a day, some days, but you can do that. I mean, that's what mindfulness is. It's paying attention to what you're paying attention to and the story you're spinning about it and going, all right, you know. And I remember over the years as I started really pursuing my passion, obviously outside the home and I had the kids and my husband always had a big job and I would sometimes be overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, I'm traveling and I've got the kids and I'm juggling this, I'm juggling that. And I'm like, and my husband would say, honey, you can figure, you've got time, you'll, you'll get through it all. And I, used, and I used to kind of, and I'd have to like go, I can, I can, I've done it before, I'll figure it out again. Maybe I need to ask for more help. Maybe I need to lower my perfectionist high bar. Maybe I need to ask my kids to pick up some slack. Uh, you know, maybe I need to ask someone else to help me out, a friend to do a drop off or a pickup for me when I was so busy with all the, you know, taxi service back in the day or, and, but yeah, I could figure it out. And and I know over the years by by sort of lowering the high bar, embracing good enough is good enough a lot of the time and giving myself permission to not do things perfectly all the time. It's just spared me so much stress and also freed me to do so many things that I would never have done had I been, you know, trying to do things perfectly and been operating from that belief that I don't have what it takes versus, mm -hmm. you know what, I can figure it out. It's so good and so true. I want to dive into your book and trusting yourself more, but I wanted to ask you a question before jumping into that, finishing off on stress, because this is, you know, before we figure out how to trust ourselves, we'll figure out how to manage the stress in between that people still have. So do you have any advice for maybe practically handling stress in different situations for the people who maybe don't yet fully trust themselves, are feeling pretty stressed out. Maybe it's about the pandemic or returning to work or traveling, whatever the case might be. 
do you think that there is this sort of universal stress management that works no matter your situation or do you have a process that you like to kind of break down depending on what someone's going through how do you kind of approach that obviously obviously it depends on is it something that like you it's it is an immediate threat and you need to do, deal with it right now Danger. i mean if you're, you know and you know the 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 <laughs> you're about to be stampeded um then yeah you should be feeling stressed and get the hell out of there so, so a stress response is is it's functional and then it helps us survive, right? Sometimes you got stressed because, man, you need to take action. So <laughs> I'm not talking about ignoring what is wired into you as a as a as a mechanism that's going to help you actually support your well-being. But if you're just feeling constantly anxious and stressed, um, developing the small little daily rituals and habits, like what are the things that when you do them, help expand your bandwidth for life. Uh, physically, obviously, exercise every day, exercise, um, eating well, getting enough sleep. Those things really matter. Mentally, writing down everything you've got on and so you can see it on a piece of paper and you're not keeping it in your head and mapping out where you're going to get it done over the course of a week. What can I get done? What won't get done? What's not really important that I'm trying to get done or do in a way that doesn't need to be done that way? Um, emotionally, being connected to people who actually bring out your best and setting some hard boundaries on people who do not bring out your best, who's, who are actually triggering your stress. Um, and there may be times when you can cope with those people and there may be times where you need to set a hard boundary and go, you know what, I, ha I really, really don't want to spend time with this person right now because all they do is talk about how stressful everything is and dial up my fear meter. Um, and I think in this pandemic, if you're on social media all the time, and there's a lot of people who I see living in echo chambers of fear mongering about everything, and they're just terrified and, you know, you could die. If you and um, I'm like, maybe you need to get off those places. And maybe, I mean, we are what we consume and media is part of what we consume. And I see people just inhaling a lot of fear based messaging uh, and there are legitimate dangers but I think in this pandemic our sensitivity toward threats has been magnified and people start seeing threats everywhere everything is dangerous and we've actually our calibration for risk is out and people are scared to do things. And people are like, oh, I don't want to get on a plane. Oh, and I don't want to go back to the office. And, and I don't want to get on public transport. And, and, I, and, I want to, and I'm like, you know, like, step back. Um, maybe you need to just get away from some of that media. But look around you for examples of people that are doing the very things you think are too scary. I have been loving being back in crowded restaurants and bars and on planes. And, <laughs> um, and I, I, I just see a lot of people who create a lot of anxiety and stress for themselves, not because of legitimate risks. I mean, there's a minuscule chance of many things, but we, we come up with like, if you get on, it's going to definitely happen. It won't happen. But if all you're focusing in on is what you don't want to happen, that magnifies your stress response and actually lowers your immune function. And frankly, you attract and more of the more chance of those things happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have great faith in my, I mean, I mean, I'm fully vaccinated, but before that I, I was just focused on thinking strong thoughts, staying strong and healthy, 
my husband got COVID. I slept beside him the night before he got it, um, before he got sick. I never got it. Um, and I'm not saying that I couldn't have got it, but all I'm saying is, is don't, don't live in a place of fear. Focus on what you want, focus on who you want to be and, and practice those little micro rituals and habits that help you just continually put things in perspective and be stronger, mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And you're so right because so much is about entirely about your perspective because we could realistically live in fear of everything. I mean, like what you said, anybody could have a gun to their head and be robbed or can experience a, a loss, whether that's the death of a loved one or a miscarriage or whatever, like that could literally happen to any single person listening in. And you can live in that constant fear and that constant state of anxiety. But what good is that going to do for the rest of your life? So... I think that's a really solid reality check that people need to hear. But then in that same vein, okay, you've got this life-changing power of trusting yourself. First of all, love that title for a book. How empowering. So cool. Um, But I'd love to hear your top tips on trusting yourself more and really honing in on that so that you feel that security in yourself that you might not have previously felt. Well, we build trust in relationship with others one interaction at a time generally you know you might start at a new job and you you know you meet your workmates or whatever a boss and you go oh i like them you know like they seem like a good person but you build up trust you're not going to tell them your deepest darkest secrets until you spend a lot of time with them there's been a lot of exchanges and interactions and likewise with ourselves if you don't trust yourself at all if you're riddled with self-doubt if you lack all confidence you're not going to suddenly feel like you know putting yourself out there in a really big way because you're like, ah, so start small, start, you build it in small incremental things that you do. And I mean, chapter one of you've got this is don't wait for confidence. Don't, oh, sorry. Don't wait until you, yeah. Don't wait for confidence. Start before you feel ready. And so do those things that you wish you had the confidence to do, but but as I said, just do something small. Maybe you're just going to reach out and invite a friend out for coffee and that's a little bit uncomfortable for you because you're not going to sure they're going to say yes, but just, just do it. Don't. Or maybe there's a business venture that you have and you're not sure you can do it. Um, I know for me, when I started my coaching business many, many years ago, uh, I, I knew I wasn't the world's best coach. I really didn't know how to start a business. I wasn't sure about any aspect of it, but I sort of was like, I'm just going to like, start even though I'm not sure I'm ready and I've met people over the years who are like literally doing PhDs in psychology because they're still not sure that they can go out and actually do it I'm like don't do that (laughs) um secondly doubt your doubts we all have a little voice in our head all of us I call it doubt fm and it's there and it's like who do you think you are to do that what will people say what if you fail oh my god you're not that good you're not that smart you're not that educated you're not pretty enough you're not smart enough you're not you're too old you're too young you know, it's going and it's going. But that voice, that that voice may sound real to you, but what it's saying isn't true, not necessarily true. And so doubt your doubts. Ask yourself, what could I do and who would I be if I never had this thought again? And you might, I'm not saying you can't ever have that thought again, but if just ask yourself, if I never had that thought again, what would be possible? What would I think about doing? Well, if I didn't believe I was too young or too old or not experienced enough or educated enough or whatever, or smart enough, what, if, I didn't, if I didn't buy into that belief, what would I do? Well, I would, 
I would reach out and do this. I would sign up for this course. I would, you know, and you would do those things. And what I know is that, and, and there's so much research that backs this up. Um, and a guy called Elbert Bender, a famous psychology, talked a lot about self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is you know, our ability to, to, to do things, our, our internalised belief system that we can affect change. And we build that confidence in our own efficacy and our own agency when we try things like experientially, we try something and maybe you got up and presented to your team or you went out there and pitched your services to a client and maybe you didn't land the sale, maybe you didn't nail it, and but you, you actually learned something and you realised the ground beneath you did not open up and you didn't fall into your death. And so I know for me writing my first book, I went to a tiny school in rural Aussie bush. Uh, I was the only kid in my grade, all my elementary school. I did not have particularly good education. You could say I had a pretty average one, if not poor. And I remember thinking, well, who am I to write a book? I mean, what do I know? I don't even know where the apostrophes go. I don't know what a conjunctive verb is. Blah, 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 blah. Um, things that my kids go, I can't believe you don't know that, mum, and you've written a book. <laughs> And I like, you know what? And my husband said, honey, one day when you, you know, you think you know everything there is to do about writing, you could write another book, but why don't you just write the best book you can right now? And that was my first book. It's now in like seven languages. It's called Find Your Courage. And I share that with you because when it comes to building self-trust and trusting in yourself to deal things, deal with things and to do things, you build it by doing the very things you're afraid to do and defying those self-doubts. And uh, sometimes that means, as I already said, putting some hard boundaries on certain people in your life who might chip away at your confidence. Maybe that means you don't tell everyone what you want to do because you know some people are going to shit on it. But it means that you show up even though you're terrified and even though you're afraid and even though you're scared, you don't have what it takes um, because we learn by doing. And um, only when we operate from that belief, even when we're not sure that we've got this, even when we're not sure we do have this, we come to realise how little reason we ever had to doubt otherwise. So good. And it's, you said, you know, you have to doubt your doubts. I feel like there's people listening who probably are going, wow, that's what a concept, but it's, everyone knows how to doubt the, to doubt the things that they're supposed to be confident in. Everyone knows how to doubt that they're actually good at something or doubt that they're actually smart enough or whatever enough, but no one ever thinks, huh, maybe I should doubt that doubt. And maybe <laughs> the thing yeah. that I thought was true, maybe it is true. Maybe I am actually capable and smart and strong and whatever the case might be. And instead of looking for this constant external validation from everyone and their mother and from people on your Facebook feed or people that you haven't seen since the sixth grade, maybe if you just actually have some confidence in you and keep building upon everything that you are and everything that you've been through, just like you said, wow, maybe we would prove to ourselves that you're right, yeah. you got this because you just did it. You just, you got it, yeah. you did it, you've done it, it's there. Yes. You just did it. And there's a real gendered element to this too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, 
And I did a lot of research on this for my when I was doing my PhD, which I only just finished, by the way, in the last year. So, I mean, I... I well, congratulations, doctor. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so it's not like I was not an academic. I just, when I moved to Singapore, which was not part of my life plan, I was like, what the hell? How can I turn this into a win? Because I had kids living in the US. I was in Australia and I got moved to Singapore and I was like, ah. And I was like, damn it, I'm going to use the extra time I have here. Um to, to do my doctorate. So anyway, that's what I did. But the gendered element of women, and there's a lot of factors, environmental, social conditioning, et cetera, that goes into explain this, but women tend to doubt themselves more and trust themselves less. Women tend to underestimate their abilities more than men. And women tend to hold back then from doing those very things, from sort of acting and going, I'm just going to wing it and put myself out there. Guys are much more comfortable with that. But then because we don't want to just like, just give it a go and wing it, we miss out on the really valuable experience. And when we go, you know what, I can do that. And I do a lot of work in companies and I I see men going, oh, well, you know, I've only got three of the 10 attributes they're looking for, but heck, I'll (laughs) give it a go. And they go in there and they're not fully competent. But you know what? They kind of figure it out. They don't over-personalize their mistakes and they learn a whole lot. And then they take on the next one. In the meantime, Sally's over here trying to get gold stars on all 10 categories before she even puts her hand up. Actually, she doesn't want to put her hand up. She wants someone to notice her and ask her to. And five years go past and Tom, he was doing it when he had two stars and he's now like five level. And and I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I'm saying- But it's that true. That, it's so that's true. It's a phenomena that exists. And it's why I do a lot of work emboldening women. And I run Live Brave Women's Weekends because, and I've got one coming up in November, because I believe that women, even more so than men, I'm not saying men don't sometimes need to doubt their doubts and that this doesn't apply to men too, but sometimes men need a little bit more- um, you know, I mean, there's hubris is the issue there. Whereas with women, we just need to step into our power and make a bet on ourselves and go, I'm just going to just trust that I can do this, even though I'm not sure, because I think the world needs more women really owning their ability to impact change. And that starts with challenging those beliefs that we buy into that we lack what it takes in any way. Yes. Oh, so, so, so good. Dr. Margie, I want to wrap things up by asking you something I ask all guests on Thrive, and that is, what does Thrive mean to you, and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? It means being really kind to myself as I pursue the highest vision for my life. I love that. Well, tell everybody where they can find you online and where they can grab a copy of your newest book. You've got this, The Life-Changing Power of Trusting Yourself. Oh, thank you. Well, the easiest place. Well, I mean, I'm on social media. Uh, well, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and, and just under my name, Margie Worrell. So I'd love you to come over and say hello, send me a message and, and, and connect with me there. Uh, and I also invite you to hop over to my website, margiewarrell.com and uh, sign up for my Live Bravely newsletter and I'll be up sending updates and videos and I share messages to inspire and encourage people to be braver with their lives. So I would love to do that for you too. 
Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.